The entertainment industry is a tough industry. We hear all the time of entertainment industry professionals, actors, directors, musicians, producers, etc., who get burned out. They suffer from depression, struggle with hurting relationships, and so much more. But sometimes the entertainment industry can also connect people to doing good in a way they wouldn't be able to do otherwise. So many of those people end up doing incredible philanthropic work around the world. Today's guest took his experience in the entertainment industry and actually left it to revolutionize the way philanthropy can be done. Welcome to Business with Purpose. I'm your host, Molly Stillman of stillbeingmolly.com, and this show is all about bringing you the stories behind the brands, companies, and small businesses that are changing the world. Each week, I interview an entrepreneur, a CEO, nonprofit director, community leader, or just an all-around amazing person who is trying to make a positive impact not only through their personal life, but also with their professional career. My goal is to show you that no matter what you do for a living, you can make an impact right where you are. My guest this week is Liron Artsy, the founder and CEO of Utopi, a new platform that revolutionizes philanthropy, elevates live streaming blockchain technology, and integrates influencers and user-generated content to transform our planet. Liron was an incredible guest, and make sure you listen to the end when he tells me about how he almost became the lead singer of one of the biggest rock bands of our generation. It's a crazy story. So without further ado, on to my conversation with Liron. Hey, Liron, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Molly. I am pumped to have you on the show. Where are you actually? I, you know, I, I saw that you're from um, South Africa, which is awesome. Um, yeah. Where are you these days? Where are you like, lo- where, where are you living these days? So funny because I get that question posed to me all the time. I'm such a free spirit. I'm such a, a gypsy soul that I've lived in so many places, but I have ended up, surprise, surprise, in the tech capital of the world, uh, and that is San Francisco, California. I love San Francisco. I visited for the, well, yeah, I guess it was the first time in 2014, and I am just itching to go back because I had the best time while I was there, and it was just beautiful, so I know that you probably, um, that you just love living there, because I don't know how you, how anybody couldn't. I think it's absolutely such a phenomenal and vibrant and innovative place filled with warm people. I, I, I spent a lot of time in Los Angeles, which certainly has its benefits, but it's not known for sort of this community feeling. And <laughs> yeah. it's so funny. I was talking to my dad the other day and he's going through road rage. You know, he's like, ah, these people in L.A., people <laughs> in L.A. And I was saying, you know, I don't have that issue. San Francisco, people let you in or not. <laughs> so anytime you want to come back, we're happy to host you. Oh, I love it. I love it. Uh, I, I grew up out. I live in North Carolina now, but I grew up outside of D.C. So I very much understand like the, the road rage. Rage. It's a it's a different kind of road rage to those that live in California, but it is a very similar like level of aggression. So yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I agree with you. I've lived in so many different places that I sort of become this chameleon that's able to adapt to yeah. the pace of a particular city. I grew up in South Africa. I lived in Los Angeles. Then I moved to New York. And it's like, you know, if you're not taking out your money by the time you're at the teller, look out. Oh, you know, people are really like pushing you. The, exactly. The, the, the teller is pushing you out the door. The people are yelling at you. So Hilarious. you just got to sort of adapt. And I think San Francisco has sort of that beautiful combination of both. You've got a really relaxed pace here within the community itself. But then when it comes to work, you know, everybody's tech oriented and, and, and very efficient and, and, and quick to react. So it's, yes. a, it's a nice combo. That's awesome. 
Well, Leron, I want to kick it off by you giving us what I have all my guests do, and that's give us the Leron 101. So tell us your story. And I know, like, you kind of gave us a snippet there with living all over from South Africa to New York to L.A. to San Francisco. Um, But tell us, you know, where how you got to where you are today. Oh, well, um, yeah, I started as a kid in South Africa. My very first job, I was uh, 13 years old, and I played David Hasselhoff as a little kid in a movie. Oh, that's uh, awesome. <laughs> and so I got the acting bug, and my father's a film producer. He moved our family out to Los Angeles when I was 14. Uh, I did a few commercials. I did a Rolled Gold pretzel commercial with Jason Alexander from Seinfeld, a few that's little so things cool. like that. Uh, and I went to, uh, I did my undergrad at UCLA. Initially, I thought I wanted to be a theater major because I had done some musicals and, uh, and, and had quite a, 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 a good time in that department. But um, I met my agent at the same time at UCLA. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's the typical Hollywood story. I was literally, while I was in school, working as a waiter at Jerry's Famous Deli. <laughs> and uh, Rick Hoffman, actually, you know, you never know who you're going to end up end up working with in Los Angeles. Rick Hoffman, who plays Lois Litt in the uh, in the television series Suits, was my yeah. boss. He was my head server at the time. You That's know? awesome. And so, yeah, and so I met my I met my agent just waiting tables. He said you should be an actor, and I said, funny enough, I did a little bit of acting. So we started sending him out on these gigs, and I booked. Um, I think it was a CBS movie of the week and, a, and an HBO little movie. And then he said, that's it. you got to quit school and you got to do acting full time. So I was balancing at UCLA. It became really difficult to balance going to school while I was acting at the same time. Yeah. So I said, you know what? Why not? You live once. And so I took a year, about a year and a half off of school to act and did a bunch of things. I was in a Showtime movie, like I said, HBO, CBS, um, did a number of things, was up for um, Virtuosity, this movie with Denzel Washington. I was up for um, American History X with Ed Norton and got really, really close. And I remember the day when I said that was it. I was done, Molly. It was the day that I went out for this comedy uh, film. And they said, um, can you shave, can you like, can you act, can you grow a beard? And I said, yes. And I was skinny, you know, as a, as a teenager. <laughs> and, uh, and I remember him calling and I knew the cast and director. I'm like, I got this. I can't it. They were laughing. I got my first big role. And I remember him calling me and said, I'm sorry. The other guy was skinnier. And that was it for me. Oh you know? my goodness. And, and I just. Yeah, it done. And so I went back to school at UCLA. I got my sociology degree and I decided I was going to go behind the camera. And um, and I, I, I got a job actually working with my father in uh, distribution. And so I learned to cut my teeth in film distribution, which is selling movies all around the world. And uh, ended up doing really well. I ended up um, working with a company called Milestone Media Group, which was under MGM and, um, excuse me, under under Warner Brothers, and and launched the uh, the DVD uh, collection there. Um, I uh, I worked for a company called Bar Martinez, which was MGM, and I I distributed pictures with the likes of Richard Gere, Michelle Pfeiffer, and. Ed Burns and Josh Jackson, Paul Rudd, all amazing human beings. Yeah. And then I got tired of the L.A. lifestyle. I gave it up. I moved east to New York City and started to freeze my booty off. (laughs) Yeah, it is cold. 
And so I, uh, I was the executive producer of a television show um, called the Business Profile series, with, uh, which was on CNBC. And uh, I was responsible for creating shows for Fortune 500 organizations. So I worked with CEOs of, you know, the Getty Museum and Umbro and Nike and uh, and Fortis Investments and Ford. Um, and then. And what year? When, what year was this that you went to New York City to work at? C- and you were working on um, the show on CNBC. Uh, this was in the early 2000s, and I really my my my. my Life is such a long book that, it, that sometimes I forget the exact years and yeah. dates and at this point in time. Yeah, but yeah. It was it was in the early. I, I'll tell you when I went to um, New York City. I can tell you exactly, actually, because unfortunately, um, September 11th happened. Yeah, and I moved there the following uh, March. I believe it was oh, March wow. or April. Yeah. So, so I, I'm, I believe September 11th. When was that? Was it? Uh, yeah. So, so March like 2012 or through 2002. Uh, yeah. 2002. I would have moved there. Correct. And I spent time after that, sort of jumping around between um, New York and Los Angeles. It just got too cold for me, and so I started running back like a little wish to Los Angeles. <laughs> I'd run back to New York because it just kept the energy you get from New York City was so incredible. Yeah. And um, and I went on to, at that point, um, right, you know, I, I ended up singing. I ended up fronting a rock band at that point in time called Dirk. I was the lead singer of a rock <laughs> oh band. Oh, my goodness. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was pretty great. We um, we uh, we had some some major shows and... Um, and a, and a Jack in the Box commercial, and, and and we did really well and played some big gigs. But after my sort of rock stint was done, I went back to New York City, and um, and I ended up uh, launching a business that took me to London for a while, and I lived in London. Um, I uh, I launched something called the Soho Loft with a business partner that was a luxury destination and event space. And we did everything from hosting clients like Barbara Walters and America's Next Top Model. Uh, I believe we, we, we put together a Mila Jovovich film there as well. And, um, and my partner and I created something called LDJ Capital, uh, which was, um, you know, a private equity firm. We launched uh, Prestige Magazine, the number one luxury publication in the world in New York City. And uh, after that, um, I went on my own and I formed an organization called LA Creations. And I became a consultant for, I'd say, the better half of a, of a decade at this point yeah. and did everything uh, and, and you never know what you're going to get into that'll eventually, but everything that I, all the different areas that I've tapped into have come full circle. So when I formed LA Creations, I was working on a live streaming media to mobile platform and working with the likes of uh, Live Nation and, and, and CAA, the talent agency. Um, we were developing these audio video greeting cards with Beyonce and, and, and Liverpool FC is my favorite um, English football club. Uh, we worked at the NFL. Um, and then uh, in New York City, uh, I worked in the Hamptons uh, with Hampton Studios and produced a private Crosby, Stills and Nash concert. I also produced a Matisse Yahoo benefit event. Um, That's and, amazing. 
Yeah, uh, I created a company called Storyteller Entertainment with a partner out of South Africa who I grew up with as a little kid. And um, one of our TV series that we've been working on for quite some time uh, called Fashion Avenue should be uh, on its way in, in, in the near future. So um, just, uh, just, just doing quite a lot in, in many different areas, I'd say television, film, music, multimedia, corporate sponsorship, um, I, I, and, uh, and living all over the place. I lived in Costa Rica for a year and now coming full circle. I spent a year in Costa Rica during the election time. Oh, and yeah. everybody there was just really nasty to each other uh, on the internet, right? Over, over differences, over differences of opinion. Now, I happen to have strong differences of opinion with a lot of people with over 50% of the country, but it's all in the way that we communicate with each other. And I felt that there was a really big disrespect to each other as human beings, and it just didn't sit well with me. And in Costa Rica, I really became the best version of myself from a spiritual point of view, from a mental point of view. Um, and so I created something called the secrets of positivity, which was just to inspire others and remind them of, of the little things that are important in life. And when I came back here to get my television series going, I had a call from my old business partner in New York city who said, stop everything you're doing and study cryptocurrency and ICO. And so I said, what are you talking about? Yeah, that's what, that's what I would say. <laughs> I said, the only thing I've heard of, are you talking about that Bitcoin thing? And, uh, and sure enough, I went to this conference at the Draper Center down here in San Francisco, just a little bit south of here. And it was about 100 of the who's who in this space, people from Russia and China that I met. And it became fascinating to me because I said, whoa, wait a second. I remember getting out of college and seeing the boom of the internet and seeing how the internet became the information age, right? And I said, here we are about to enter the age of trust in a world where people just do not trust each other anymore. Here we have a solution in blockchain to set up something called smart contracts, which are basically digital agreements, and we don't need third parties to verify anything. And I met two incredible human beings uh, who run a company called The Bureau and Dispatch. And Matt and Patrick said to me, why don't we do something in the media world? And I said, okay, if we're going to do something in the media world, I'm game here, media and blockchain. But it has to be something unique, and it has to be something that really speaks to the heart. I'm not going to put up any content that doesn't speak to the heart and actually have an impact. And that's what really spun the whole idea for me to create Utopia. That is an incredible and insane and like so many things story I to lead you to where you are. That is amazing. Um, so thank you for sharing all of that. Um, I have some follow up questions, but I want to I do want to get into um, if you could just explain for those that do not know what Utopia is. Um, give us kind of the rundown, like when you, you know, almost your elevator pitch, like when somebody says, what do you do? And you talk about Utopia, how do you explain to them what it is and, and what you're doing? 
Yeah, in a non-technical sense. So we're we're really working with millennials and Gen Z to create an, a creative environment that helps them transform the planet by creating content. And so, look, we all know right now that millennials and Gen Z really want to create content. They want to make an impact. They don't feel safe on places like Facebook, which really take advantage. Um, there's no engine out there that really easily raises funds for them to make an impact with their content. And there's also no platform out there where an influencer, an artist, a light worker, or a content creator, or the average content creator really can be rewarded for their work and make an impact at the same time. Mm -hmm. So that's where Utopia comes in utilizing blockchain. So explain for somebody that maybe doesn't understand necessarily what blockchain is. Yeah. How, how might you explain that? I would, I would explain it as, because we can get into a single ledger and how that works. But I would say, as I said before, blockchain is the information, is, is the age of trust, right? Yeah. Blockchain yeah. utilizes something called smart contracts, as I mentioned, which are these digital contracts. So if you and I have an agreement, right, and you say, you know what, I'm going to buy X from you. Mm -hmm. Then when it comes time to buy X from me, I say, okay, what if you say, you know what, I've reneged or I don't have the money or, and oftentimes we need a third party to verify that transaction. So blockchain takes away that third party and effectively creates these smart contracts that automatically make this deal happen. So in the case of Utopia, for example, if I'm a content creator and I set my ticket prices a certain price, we have a bunch of people who come in to watch this particular event, and then you as a content creator can choose your percentage of how much you want to make. So it's between zero and 40, and then how much is going to the charity between 40 to 80. So it's sort of a combination of a U2 and a GoFundMe model. What that does then is automatically when that event is over, it'll automatically delve out the amount of money that each particular group made yeah. without having to verify it through any other financial part. Okay. And what blockchain also does, which is something to really understand, is it really protects your security and privacy. So I'll give a real world example for people who don't understand it. Okay? Yeah. Let's say I wanted to uh, buy a house back in the day, right? Mm -hmm. Or in the current situation, there is a ledger that exists. And that's, this ledger says, this house was built in 1945. The chimney was constructed in 1948. It was sold to this party in 1950. It was resold in 1970, right? Mm -hmm. There's no way to keep that information concrete and protect that information because anybody can alter that particular ledger or would have altered that ledger and you wouldn't have known it. So what blockchain comes along and says is, if I bought that house in 1948, here is a particular code for that transaction. And then when the roof is fixed, here's another code, and that code is directly linked, there's the chain, right, into yeah. that block. And then for every transaction after that, it's constantly updating that particular link. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So there's the block and there's the chain. It's on a, on, a, on a high view, effectively, how blockchain would really, would really work. And so what we're excited about is that it really provides this sense of security and efficiency and trust 
Um, that in certainly with respect to um, to charity and to charitable giving, with respect to transparency, that's a really important thing we want to adhere to as well. I know you're loving this conversation with Liron. I wanted to take a moment to thank our sponsor of the show who is able to help make this show possible, and that's CauseBox. As you know, CauseBox is one of my favorite ethical subscription boxes, and I've been a subscriber for over two and a half years. How it works is each season, a new box is released filled with everything from accessories, home goods, and jewelry to the best in skincare and wellness products that are not only amazing, but they are also doing the most good. The products are not just beautiful, they're also useful. The summer box is here, and it's amazing. Amazing. Causebox continues to outdo themselves, and this season is no exception. I have a full review and unboxing of the Causebox Summer Box on my blog, so be sure to check that out. This season's box is filled with over $327 worth of ethical and fair trade goods for only $54.95. Or if you use my coupon code Molly, that gets you $15 off. To reserve your summer cause box, go to stillbeingmolly.com slash cause box and use the coupon code Molly for $15 off. Now back to my conversation with Liron. So I'm curious, you know, obviously you, you have just such a diverse background as far as your work in acting and in media and then the film industry and then, you know, working in kind of the luxury space, you know, you have sort of this very diverse background. Is there a common thread that you have seen, like, as, as you be, have begun to work on Utopia, and um, obviously this is a big passion project for you, is there a common thread from your, from, you know, your experiences and your life that has really kind of been the foundation for Utopia? Is there, it, like, have you always sort of had, you know, almost like an empathetic spirit? Is there, you know, a, a point in your life where you just realize that you were really created to to leave a, a lasting legacy? Like what, what is sort of that common thread that is in the foundation of your, your passion for Utopia? Yeah, I'd say all of the above. Uh, I think I have a mother who worked in nonprofit for many years. And so she always taught me to treat all different types of people with respect and love. And, um, and it's always been a passion of mine to help human beings. Yeah, And I've always said that when I lie on my deathbed, I want to say that I truly made a difference. So that's number one. Yeah. Number two, my passion for creating entertainment and not just entertainment in the sense of silly entertainment, but projects that educate and heal and, and, and motivate, right? Um, that, that, that's always been a, a common theme with me. And what's fascinating in, in Utopia is that I wouldn't have had the wits to be able to actually create this engine without all of my experiences around the world and everything that I've done. And just case in point, I mean, I, I'm somebody who really believes that everything happens for a reason. Yeah. Right? Every single thing that we do, we definitely have that fork in the road and we can choose one side or the other, but it all happens for a reason. And I believe we're exactly where we're supposed to be at this point in time. And if I look back, what's really fascinating is this entire project would not have happened if I uh, had not been born in South Africa. And I'll, I'll just give you a, a brief breakdown of this. I was traveling between, um, I believe it was Taiwan and, and Hong Kong at some point um, in Asia many years ago when I was doing film distribution. And I found the only English language book on the shelf. 
And it was this beautiful story about a little boy dying of AIDS in South Africa called Nkosi. And I took so much heart to it. I, I, I started crying and I said, I absolutely have to make this movie. Yeah. And so I called the producer up and I said, you have to give me the rights. And she said, I'm sorry, I just gave it to other producers. And I tracked this thing for two years. And finally, I went back and I called my old childhood friend who I grew up with in South Africa, who had gotten in the movie business, but I had no idea. And I said, Dylan, you have to go. I don't care how far you have to travel. Go to this woman's farm and get us the rights to make this movie. I'm so passionate about it. Yeah. And, and literally, he got the rights within two days because they had just become available. And a day later, I got a call. And uh, this woman on the phone said, I'm a powerful talent agent. I represent Lee Blake, who is partners with Alicia Keys. Lee Blake and Alicia Keys. And they have a foundation called Keep a Child Alive, and they want to make this movie. So Lee Blake and I went all over the place trying to get this film made, and it didn't happen. But here, years later, Lee Blake is now one of uh, our chief advisors at Utopia and helping to put together uh, these benefit concerts. We're able, for example, to put together a benefit concert in a really short amount of time with our live streaming platform, and we're going to tackle disaster relief. And we're going to align ourselves with the United Nations and, and the 17 Sustainable Development Goals to really make a true impact in humanity. And all of this wouldn't have happened. And, and, and I can tell you, I met my other uh, business partner, Brad, who's one of our co-founders. I met him down in Costa Rica. I met one of my other business partners, Michael Abbott, our chief content officer. I met him in Los Angeles, working in Los Angeles many years ago. You know, Brad brought on Greg, our CTO, and he brought on Charles, our CFO. So all of these synchronicities had to happen yeah. in order for us to be here right now. Yeah, that's incredible. And I love when you see, kind of see over the years how different steps have given you the experience needed to, you know, for a particular skill or uh, a particular connection that you might need in the, in the business. Um, so I want to talk a little bit more about Utopia. So you got this idea and you, you wanted to be able to connect um, content creators that are, you know, millennial and Gen Z content creators that are trying to make a positive impact on the world. Um, how did you exactly develop the idea? And can you give us an example of, you know, somebody who is, you know, can you kind of give us an example of what it looks like in practice? Yeah. So, you know, as I said, I, I think I developed the idea around um, all my, uh, all my previous experiences. And I literally sat down, I, I, I I remember explicitly driving back and forth from Humboldt to meet with these guys about it. And I just couldn't put my thumb on it on what I wanted to do. And I had that aha moment when I started reaching, researching cryptocurrencies and ICOs and what makes them successful. And I, I found that for, for the entertainment, for what I wanted to do, live streaming was that platform that was going to take us to the next level and, and, and put us in spotlight. In fact, it's it's growing to a seventy billion dollar industry, um, you know, by twenty twenty. Yeah. So, so that was my that was my reasoning for that. And then, you know, when I when I looked at where the world was and what blockchain could truly accomplish with respect to transparency and efficiency, I thought it was a no brainer. And especially with with what I wanted to do and how passionate I was to help humanity to tie the two in together. Um, and then uh, the other side of the equation, which was 
to give content creators and light workers and healers an opportunity to also help themselves came from uh, one of our co-founders, Michael Abbott, who's our chief content officer, and he and I got together and we wanted to make sure that we, we gave a voice for everybody. You know, we, we, we created a home where people could come and help themselves and help humanity at the same time. And look, we want to give them the option to be their own producer. And so you, you ask how it would look. If you, if, once this thing is built, if you go to our, um, to our app, our chief experience officer, Eric Westbrook, has been working really hard to put it together. And if you look at it, somebody will be able to effectively be their own producer, right? They're their own creator. They're their own producer. So you'll set your ticket price. So I'll give you I'll give you a real world example. Yeah. If, if if I am a healer or a yoga instructor, let's just say working out of Costa Rica, and I have a following of two thousand people, um, and I know that it's really difficult for me to make a living and help humanity at the same time, I can then go and choose my ticket price. So let's just say I choose a modest ticket price of five dollars for entry to my particular class or my course that i'm going to do okay. right and then what will happen is there will be another drop down menu which will be a list of accredited and approved charities and you will pick the charity that you're going to be in partnership with and the way your funds are going to be donated towards and then you will pick the amount and percentage that you are taking for yourself between zero to 40%. So the reason that we're doing that is because in a GoFundMe type of situation where you have a particular cause or charity that you really care about, and maybe it's something like a Movember or something where you don't, where you're not really doing it for a monetary purpose, but you're doing it specifically to support that charity. Yeah. Maybe you'll, you'll select zero and you'll give 80% to the charity. Or maybe if it's more of like a course that you're offering or something where you're really trying to make a living at the same time, you'll select 40%, but 40% of that you're going to match with the charity of your choice. So you're, you're helping yourself and you're helping others at the same time. So that's on the one side. We're also going to do celebrity-driven events, which we uh, produce where 80% uh, all, all of the donations are going to go towards the uh, charity that the, that the celebrity partnership with. And then the final thing we're going to do, we're going to do benefit concerts where 100% of proceeds are going to go to that particular uh, disaster relief effort. That's incredible. So I was just going to say, like, this almost seems like a, a big part of the, the, the vision is, you know, kind of like, I mean... Obviously, we don't we don't like, you know, natural disasters or things like that. But after, you know, natural disasters or just, um, you know, human, you know, human made disasters, things like that. I mean, you always kind of see these benefit concerts come together. Like, you know, um, I remember after the earthquake in Haiti, I believe it was Bono had put together um, like a whole like series and an album and all this kind of stuff with all the benefits going to um, Haiti earthquake relief and things like that. So I almost feel like it's 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 sort of the next step and the next generation of those types of things. That's exactly right. And we're utilizing live streaming and we're utilizing a demographic that's really engaged and really wants to feel part of the solution. Yeah, absolutely. I've had a few guests on recently in the last couple of months. Um, 
that have really that are you know from the millennial and Gen Z generation, um, Shane Feldman and Sydney Garrett are the two that come to mind, um, and they are both. Uh, Sydney is sixteen and Shane is twenty three, and they are both running um, youth led organizations that are impacting literally millions of kids around the world. And just talking to them in the last couple of months, it's you know I'm I'm a mom, I, I'm a parent, and you know I think about what is the kind of world that my kids are growing up in? And when I see kids like Shane and Sydney that are spending their time, I mean, working their butts off for the sake of creating a positive impact, like I'm so inspired. And so it's, I think it's so cool to see, you know, somebody like you who's coming along and creating a, a, a media platform for kids like Sydney and Shane and, you know, the, the millions of other kids just like them that have, you know, these ideas, have this content, have um, have these passions to to leave an impact, um, but they don't necessarily have the outlet to do it. I love that you're you're kind of being that middle person. You're being you're the connector for them. <laughs> Thank you. That's that's all we want to do. We just want to facilitate, facilitate a platform that you know people can really make a difference. Yes. And and you said it right. And we've got all sorts of goodies to entice people. And and we've got something called the Golden Utopia, where people there's a lottery system, and you can actually win a trip to go and hang with the celebrity. Uh, we'll have a gamification part that really speaks to to the Gen Z audience, where they can earn points and rewards and all sorts of benefits. So, we're really we're we're, we're not trying to change the system so much and change the process as much as we are just, as you said, facilitating a platform where they can put all of good use um, in motion. Yeah. Um, so Liron, what is on the horizon for you and Utopia, and, um, how can people get connected with you? Yeah. Uh, we are currently in, uh, in full build mode. Um, and we anticipate in the next several months to roll out with our platform. And at that point, um, anybody can, uh, you know, can, can start to utilize our system. So we're excited about that. Uh, with respect to um, getting in touch with me, uh, I would say that you can either uh, find me on, uh, on, on LinkedIn or actually any social media under Liron Artsy, or another way to do it is to actually go to our website, which is utopi.io, and sign up there and send us messages, and uh, we will certainly get back to you as, as soon as possible. But I think by just registering there and we have a Telegram room as well uh, where you can find us. Um, I, I, you know, tons of social media sites. I, I think there, there are definitely ways to, to get more information and, and to stay in touch with me personally. Perfect. That's awesome. Well, Liron, this has been awesome, um, but this is also the part of the, t- the show where we transition to get to know you a little bit better um, and just ask you some fun get-to-know-you questions. So are you game for that? You mean my 20-minute intro didn't do the trick? <laughs> <laughs> well, that too. But these are these are just kind of like, you know, a little offbeat, if you will. Uh, so. <laughs> Absolutely. Awesome. Cool. All right. So the first question is, and this is one that I always like to answer. So that's why I wanted to, to ask it is, what is your go-to karaoke song? 
Huh. Uh, you you uh, picked somebody who absolutely lives for karaoke. Yes, yes. <laughs> I actually, I'm going to give a plug to the app uh, Sing by Smule because I have been a member for about four years now. I think I've recorded like 8,000 songs yes. in four years. Yes, I have that app too. Oh, we got to sing together. I look forward to it. Oh my um, gosh, that's awesome. Yeah, and so I, I love Elton John. I, I, you know, Elton John, your song always used to be a go-to for me. Uh, I love singing a little sting as well. Uh, but I'll, I'll sing anything. I yeah. love it. I love it. Do you want to know what my song is? Of course I do. <laughs> Killing Me Softly by the Fugees. <laughs> I love that song. <laughs> so funny story. When I was in college, I um, so I have a background in sketch and improv comedy. And when I was in college, I was taking some comedy classes in New York City. And um, some friends and I from the comedy school, we decided to go out to a karaoke bar one night. Well, we ended up, we, we did not know that it was actually a drag queen bar, um, drag queen karaoke bar. And so I go into this drag queen karaoke bar and I'm like, you know, 20, freshly 21 years old in this drag queen karaoke bar singing, killing me softly to a bunch of <laughs> drag queens. It was a fun evening. They were a great audience. They were incredibly encouraging. So. <laughs> um, okay. So the next question is what is the most unusual thing you have ever eaten? And I figured this would be a good one for you because I knew that you had a lot of worldwide travels. Ah, what the most unusual? Uh, I would say kava. Have you ever heard of kava? No. What is that? Kava is this. It's it's from a root. It's from a root and it takes, and, and you get it in Fiji. And so you sit in this ceremony and they put it and they and they dilute it into water, into a bowl, and you and you go, bula bula. <laughs> And you, and you drink this thing, right? And it tastes like muddy water. Ooh. And, yeah, and, and, and then they pass it around and around and around very, and around. Very and around. interesting. And about 50 times after drinking this disgusting muddy water, you get up and you feel like you're drunk. And you just stumble around. But I, I, I'd probably say that's the most unusual thing. Yeah, I would say that that definitely qualifies. <laughs> Um, well, so it, this is funny. I actually wrote this question down before I ever knew that you had a stint in a rock band. So for the listeners, I did not know that in advance before I asked this question. But my question is, if you could join any past or current music group, which one would you want to join? Well, I'm going to tell you a little story and probably all the listeners a little story. And I don't repeat this very often. Because this is the first time I'm coming out in public with this. <laughs> Right after UCLA, when I was selling movies, my dear friend at the time, Brad Delson, was the lead guitarist of this rock band called Zero. And I used to go uh, hear them play at, while I was at UCLA. And uh, they were this amazing rock, a combination of rock and rap, right? And, uh, and when I met Brad and I went to this sorority formal together at UCLA, <laughs> we spent the weekend and which is so random. And, uh, and after that, he told me that they were auditioning people for his band again. And I said, I'd love to audition for you. And he said, I didn't know you sing. And I said, well, frankly, I've never sang rock before. I've always sort of been a musical guy, but I'd love to give it a shot. So I started 
with him and the rapper in their studio recording songs and they loved my voice and they said you know we want to take you shopping because you're way too preppy and they started putting me in all this rock gear on Melrose and <laughs> training me to, to talk to the media and I really didn't take it that seriously I said what is this you know and uh and I never forget I got the call from Brad and he said are you ready and I said yes and I really didn't do that much work on it. I don't know. You know, sometimes you just don't think, take things as seriously as you should. And I, uh, I didn't have time to go home and change. So I came in my suit. The other guys were like total rockers with the punk hair and the, and the tattoos. And, and I auditioned and I didn't get it. And they were called Zero. And about, I think about three months later, I went into what was called the warehouse at the time, this huge uh, music store. And I saw their poster on the wall. And they became a band called Lincoln Park. Oh my goodness, no way. <laughs> yeah, and I, and, I, and I saw Brad, <laughs> the guitarist, I saw him at the gym. We worked out at the same gym and he said, I'm so sorry. Love your voice. You have to go and audition for another band. You have to keep singing. And so that's when I found this band called Dirk, which was named after Dirk Diggler in Boogie Nights. And I said, uh, all right, let's let's give it another shot. And from day one, it was just, you know, we really clicked. And, and I had a really good time playing mini rock star for a minute with them. That's hilarious. Well, that <laughs> is, I think, probably the that like can't top any other story that you were like basically almost in Lincoln Park. But think about how different your life would be had you made it into Lincoln Park. I, you know what? I'm really blessed with where I am right now, and, and, and grateful that I have the opportunities to really help humanity. So yeah. whatever was meant to be is meant to be. Yeah, for sure. Well, Liron, this is awesome. Um, I had just a great time chatting with you. Um, and I will be sure to, for the listeners, I'll have all of you Topi and Liron's uh, information in the show notes. And I just continue to, che- I'm going to be cheering you on and I can't wait to see all the other awesome things that you do. I thank you so much. This has been such a absolute pleasure. Liron was so much fun to talk to. I learned so much and I loved his energy and passion and hilarious stories. As always, I'll have Liron's info in the show notes. Another huge thank you to this week's podcast sponsor, Causebox. Visit stillbeingmolly.com slash Causebox and use the coupon code Molly for $15 off. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you're a first time listener of the show, welcome friend. Be sure to visit the archives for past shows featuring amazing entrepreneurs and business owners who are changing the world with their businesses. And if If you're a regular listener of the show, thank you so much for tuning in week in and week out, and thank you for your support. Be sure to head on over to iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Radio Public, or whichever podcasting app you like best, and make sure you're subscribed to the show. Clicking that subscribe button helps to make sure you never miss a new episode of the podcast. And while you're there, would you mind taking a moment to leave a review of the show? Leaving a review of the show helps me to know what you're liking and how the show is personally impacting you. And if you share the show on social media, be sure to use the hashtag businesswithpurposepodcast or tag me at stillbeingmolly on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. This show is edited by my amazing husband and executive producer, John Stillman, and the music is by Mark Killian of Third Wheel Media. Thank you so much for listening and go do something good with purpose on purpose.